0: I want to begin by reading an excerpt from the New York Times uh, that came after the Summer Olympics um, in Japan. Kenichiro Fumida was crying so hard that he could barely get the words out. I wanted, to run, I wanted to return my gratitude to the concerned people and volunteers who are running the Olympics during this difficult time. Mr. Fumida, a Greco-Roman wrestler, said between sobs, After his final bout at the Games this week, I ended up with this shameful result," he said, bobbing his head abjectively. I'm truly sorry. Mr. Fumida, who was 25, had just won a silver medal. In what has become a familiar and at times wrenching sight during the Tokyo Olympics, many Japanese athletes, again, that's the host country, have wept through post-competition interviews, apologizing for any result short of gold. Even some who had won a medal, like Mr. Fumida, lamented that they had let their team down, their supporters, even their country. After Japan's judo team earned silver, losing to France, Soichiru Mukai, 25, also apologized. I wanted to withstand a little bit more, he said. And I'm so sorry to everyone on the team. What do you think of those responses? Deeply dissatisfied with an Olympic silver medal. Shame at being recognized second best in the world. It seems a little harsh, maybe unnecessary to many of us. We tend to downplay and dismiss the significance of losing adopting mottos and cliches and slogans like, it's not if you win or lose, it's how you play the game. As long as you do your best, that's what counts. That's the score that matters, not the scoreboard. You can't win them all. Winning isn't everything. In embracing this type of language, it's a way for us to kind of make peace with losing. Now, finding finding a false identity in winning or losing that leads to despair, that's one thing. But making peace with losing, that's something altogether different. Those who embrace such a disposition struggle with quotes from people like legendary National Football League coach Vince Lombardi, who said, Winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And, And he said, if it, if, it doesn't matter, if it doesn't matter who wins or loses, why do they keep score? Those who make peace with losing may also struggle with how the Apostle Paul addresses the Corinthians as he references runners: "Run in such a way as to win the race. Winning is the goal. The scoreboard does matter. You race to win. In recent weeks, we have been preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, and the Apostle Paul has been engaging a question about Christian freedom, whether or not the Corinthians had the right or freedom to engage in a particular activity. Last week, Pastor Chris helped us understand how Paul was willing to lay down rights and freedoms for people to be one to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This week, he uses an illustration the Corinthians can identify with to emphasize his point, an example from athletics. And he emphasizes second place isn't the goal. Competitors run to win. Last week, Pastor Chris's big idea was in it to win it. I want to piggyback off that this morning and say, as Paul considers running a race, our big idea this is winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. As a runner is focused on winning the competition of a foot race, as Christians live out the Christian faith, we should have a similar type of mentality. Now, I sometimes wonder why Pastor Chris delegates me particular passages to preach He gave me topics like sexuality, church discipline, the Apostle Paul saying it's better to be single, pushing against the way we use theology to puff ourselves up. In those situations, I think he's trying to grow the way I articulate challenging theological concepts. Other times, I think he delegates topics because I understand the subject so well. I am the reigning winner of the spicy chili eating contest I I like to slip in from time to time that I was an academic All-American lineman uh, for the Dana College Vikings. I compete in half marathons. My seven-year-old yesterday told me if we play Capture the Flag as a family, she'd pick me. Like Charles Barkley in the Capital One commercials, I still got it. He delegated this passage to me because I'm a winner. Except, except. truth be told, yesterday, as my daughter reflected uh, more on her capture-the-flag op- options, as she reconsidered, she rescinded her offer to me, to, 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 be, to find someone better on her team uh, that she perceives to be a better prospect. I'm going to show her. Uh, when it comes to, to competing on high school varsity football teams, when it came to college football, I don't recall ever being on a winning team. And, and in those half marathons, I struggled to, to break a 10-minute mile pace, which puts me in the last quarter of those competing in the event. I think it's about effort, not winning. Maybe, maybe Pastor Chris is wanting to stretch me here. Either way, Either way, to explore this big idea, the Apostle Paul shares some basic strategies to win. So if you ever see the, the broadcast at the beginning of a football game or a sporting event, announcers identify keys to winning. So since this is the Apostle Paul speaking, since my name is Paul, we're going to examine Paul's keys to winning and break it down to two areas, discipline and denial and perseverance on the path. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the passage read earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Now, before we get into Paul's keys to winning, it's important to clarify the race Paul has in mind here. The city of Corinth was known uh, for hosting something called the Isthmian Games. These were athletic contests that took place every other year and were second in fame only to the Olympic Games that occurred in Athens. So they had events going on like wrestling horse racing, chariot races, javelin throwing, discus contests, foot racing. They even had something called pancration, which was kind of like ultimate fighting. It was a mix of boxing and wrestling. When you entered the city of Corinth, you encountered statues of athletes immortalized because of their athletic accomplishments. Think of something like the Hall of Fame people who are looked up to and remembered for what they did on the field long after they competed. All the Corinthians were familiar with the significance of athletic competition, and they were familiar with with people upholding what we call the GOATs, the greatest athletes of all time. People knew those individuals, they were competing to win. Not to get second place or third place winning first place wasn't everything. It was the only thing. Now, the Apostle Paul, he may have been someone who encouraged his disciples to take better care of their physical frame. I mean, he is the one who talks about our bodies being a temple. But the winning he ultimately has in view is not athletics. It's a spiritual type of victory. In verse 25, he contrasts Perishable and imperishable crowns. The crown at ismia that identified an individual as the winner, it was made of celery or pine or olive branches, so it would decay. The reward Paul has in mind is an imperishable one, one that would not decay. Now, some may think that the reward Paul is referring to is eternal life. But that doesn't fit the context of this passage. Paul has just talked about laying down rights and freedoms so others may be won to the gospel. Living a life proclaiming the gospel to others is the race Paul is referring to. This is the race he wants Christians to run to win. And the prize is people people experiencing eternal life. Paul makes similar references about people in other passages. So then my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Paul refers to the people who came to know Christ in the city of Philippi as his joy and his crown. He delighted in knowing they knew jesus christ in philippians 2 19 paul says for who is our hope or joy or crown or boasting in the presence of our lord jesus at his coming is it not you people coming to know christ people placing their faith in christ that was the ultimate prize for paul As he looked around, he saw countless people enslaved to sin, people who were perishing. He doesn't care about proving himself right and proving them wrong. He doesn't care about defending his lifestyle and his values. The thing he wants is for them to know Christ, them to know the love of Christ and the forgiveness that Christ offers. Winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. So let's get into Paul's first key to winning. Key number one, discipline and and denial. In referencing athletics, runners who compete to win, as I mentioned, Paul is is upholding some of the greatest athletes of his time. And he's saying that there's there's something about how they pursue winning that we need to learn from. To learn to win, we need to learn from people who compete to win. So Paul says in verses 24 and 25, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown but we an imperishable one. So so Paul says everyone who competes to win exercises self-control in everything. So scholars tell us that the athletes who competed at the Isthmian Games, they were required to go into 10 months of strict training. If they failed to do that 10 months of strict training, they could be disqualified from competition. So athletes didn't just show up expecting to win. Far more than practicing a sport, a competitor embraced a different kind of lifestyle. What they ate mattered. What they drank mattered. What, what they, how, how they spent their time mattered. The need to exercise mattered. One who competes to win exercises self-control in everything. They have a, a holistic perspective, a long view in mind For how they prepare for an athletic contest that includes self-discipline and self-denial. Now, if you're like me, you may have dismissed one of the greatest athletes of all time currently competing, Tom Brady. I mean, he played for the Patriots, a team many of us dislike. He was suspended by the NFL for four games for deflating balls, but when someone wins A starting quarterback position for a new team at the age of 43, and then goes on to win Super Bowl MVP, there's something we need to learn from him about a winning mindset. So here's a few quotes. All I do is work out. Half my life is spent in a gym somewhere sweating. I try not to eat much sugar, but it's so hard in our American diet to do that. If you're not sleeping, you're not recovering. And if you're going to break your body down a lot, you better find ways to build it back up. And the only way to do that is to get a lot of sleep. So for me, I go to bed like 8.30 or 9, as soon as I put my kids to bed, because I'm up at 5.30 the next day. For an athlete competing to win, the mindset winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. It's about far more than practice. Preparing to compete requires self-discipline and self-denial. So rather than a drink, rather than a glass of wine, they drink a glass of water. Rather than spend time engaging entertainment, they spend time exercising. Rather than sleep in and snooze, they set the alarm to stretch and strengthen. Rather than eat cookies and cake, they eat carrots and kale, as distasteful as that may be. Now, there there is nothing wicked or inherently sinful with eating cake or cookies or drinking a glass of wine or engaging entertainment or sleeping in and snoozing. In upholding self-control and everything, Paul is saying that an athlete competing to win not only rejects harmful habits, they surrender something they have the freedom to do. They surrender privileges. They abstain from practices they may be justified in doing, To devote attention to something better oriented to their desire to win. So, when it comes to the race of proclaiming the gospel to others, when it comes to people being the prize, too many Christians are unwilling to abstain from things they have the freedom to do, to give attention to things better oriented to the purpose of winning. We are at peace with losing. Second place, third place, last place, doesn't matter. We are apathetic and indifferent when interacting with people who are far from Christ or less mature in the Christian faith. We care more about our perishable crowns than imperishable ones. And so rather than self-discipline, we self-indulge. Rather than self-deny, we serve self. Here's a quote to consider. Those of whom we speak have forgotten their responsibility to serve God and their fellow man. They act as if the norm for a Christian was a life of constant indulgence. To live in far more affluence, with more sensual pleasure and luxury, is the chief aim of their lives. Even the healthy practice of staying in shape has become an an end in and of itself, instead of a means to be more effective as a servant. Health and exercise become such an obsession that they constitute another form of sensual indulgence. These words were actually published in 1797. Could have been written yesterday, right? William Wilberforce wrote those words in his book, Real Christianity. If you don't know who Wilberforce is, he was a Christian nobleman dedicating time and energy and resources to lead efforts to eliminate the slave trade. He was concerned many Christians had embraced a form of Christianity that served self. People were taking the benefits of being a Christian to gain personal pleasure, personal comfort, and personal status. He saw individuals that were unwilling to give up the types of things that they had the freedom to do to give attention to things better oriented to the purpose of mission and winning others to Christ. So in verse 27, Paul says he disciplines his body and brings it under strict control. He's making his body a slave, treating it with stern and rigid discipline. For Paul, as he considers living out the mission of making disciples, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. When we have such a mentality, it changes what we devote attention to and what we abstain from. So for example, time. We give attention to reading scripture. We give attention to extended times of prayer, praying for those who are far from Christ. We give attention to dedicating time to serve others in need, and we abstain from excessive scrolling on social media, being glued to the 24-hour news cycle, binging on Netflix, or whatever other platform you find and prefer. When it comes to our language, the the slogans and the expressions are bumper stickers, if you will. We abstain from being crass. We do not tear others down. We do not point to self. We devote attention to asking questions, to be encouraging to others. We use language that is tactful and thoughtful, compassionate and considerate. When it comes to what we put into our bodies, We give attention to food and drink that provides energy and we abstain from substances or excess use of food and drink that may be evil or communicate an appearance of evil. When it comes to how we use our money and material possessions, we give our attention to hospitality and generosity, even when we disagree with the policies and practices of others beyond sharing excess resources. We sacrifice in a manner that produces discomfort. In this race, we embrace the motto, no pain, no gain. We abstain from spending money on travel and trips and takeouts, things we are entitled to. We do not wrap our arms around our bank accounts or the possessions in our homes saying, that's mine, it's off limits. We abandon and abstain from postures that defend and demand rights and privileges to to devote attention to a disposition of sacrifice and surrender. When the prize is people, when that is the imperishable crown that we are pursuing, we embrace a mentality of being self-disciplined and self-denial. And it affects what we devote our attention to and what we abstain from. So like an athlete longing to win, that includes desires and habits that are often innocent and right. So as you think about living out the mission of making disciples, in what ways do you need to be more self-disciplined? How do you need to exercise greater self-denial? What do you need to devote more attention to? And what do you need to be abstaining from? So first key to winning, discipline and denial. Key number two, perseverance on the path. So Paul identifies ways that people participate, but they do not contend to win. They're doing stuff. They look like competitors, but they are counterfeits. So, Paul says in verses 26 and 27, so I do not run like one who runs aimlessly, or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control, so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Some run aimlessly. So, I typically run a half marathon every year. When you run a half marathon, You're on some type of street system or trail system. And you need to pay attention to the race that is marked out for you. Because you could start the race, you could keep running, and you could get off course. And in getting off course, you would still be running, but you're not running to win. You'd be running aimlessly. Your results wouldn't count. Some are like boxers beating the air right? He or she, they're throwing their punches. He or she is getting all worked up, but those punches, they don't serve a purpose. Maybe those punches are only thrown to warm up, or maybe they're thrown at some imaginary opponent. Either way, they never land on target. They do not produce an outcome that leads to winning a competition, and some after the competition, they are disqualified. They didn't compete according to the rules. They cheated. You know, this is like the running back on a football team. After breaking out into the open, getting to the end zone, thinking he has scored a touchdown, looks back and sees the penalty flag lying on the field. Offensive holding. The results don't count. He ran all the way to the end zone for nothing. I was going to make fun of Nebraska football here, but after last night's performance, crushing Northwestern, it doesn't seem fitting. Some Christians run aimlessly. They are busy and they tend to burn out. They do all sorts of Christian activity. They, they care about Christian causes. They care about Christian morality. They care about Christian virtue and Christian behavior. But they do not care about preaching the good news of the gospel, that Jesus saved sinners, of whom I am one of the foremost. They don't care about preaching that message to others. They want others to behave better. But beyond that, they care little about people clinging to Christ. Other Christians are like boxers beating the air. They throw a lot of punches. They, they do a great deal to argue with those with alternate worldviews. They have thought through and utilized rationale to justify their rights and freedoms and their privileges. They know how to debate and how to argue, but they do not understand how to be humble. How to surrender an argument for the sake of others, seeing a Savior who laid down his life and his rights and his privileges. Still others can be like one who is disqualified. Again, this race is about proclaiming the gospel to others, not about earning God's favor. Running to win is not a new law to acquire righteousness and to be approved before God. That race has already been won. The issue of disqualification comes down to lifestyle matching what we say we believe. Paul was concerned that some may damage and destroy their ability to do ministry by the way they lived. More than the wrong path, they have misplaced priorities. And misplaced priorities damage an ability. To get a good hearing for the gospel, they disqualify you from being able to share the gospel with others. We say, we say we treasure Christ more than anything else. We say that we have surrendered all we have to Him, but oftentimes our lives indicate that we care more about something else, more about self righteousness than righteousness in Christ. We care more about behavior than God's grace given generously. We care more about our freedoms and privileges, blessings we get than clinging to Christ. Do our lives indicate what we say and what we do? Do those things indicate that Christ is what we ultimately treasure? So Wilberforce, who dedicated his time and energy and resources to expose and eliminate the wickedness of the slave trade, he used his platform as an author to write about knowing Christ. Real real Christianity wasn't about ending the slave trade. Real Christianity wasn't about being committed to a particular Christian cause. Real Christianity was about clinging to Christ and declaring the good news of Christ to others. That was the race That mattered. So here's Wilberforce describing someone clinging to Christ. He knows he is traveling to a better country. He can observe the practices of this strange land and associate with its inhabitants. He even attempts to speak their language and, where appropriate, adopt their fashions. But he makes sure that he is not sidetracked or delayed along the way from accomplishing what his master sent him to accomplish. He has business to which he must attend. He knows there will be temptations and distractions. He knows the enemy wants to delay and derail his advancements. This means that he must maintain his focus and direction. To make sure he is on the right track, he needs to periodically take stock. Is he traveling in the right direction? Has he become distracted? The statement, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. It may rub some of you the wrong way. You want to qualify what Paul is saying. Hey, he's saying run in such a way to win the prize. He does not say run to win the prize. So, let me ask you this. If we're running in such a way to win the prize, is losing okay? From the greatest athletes of all time, we, we learn that losing is not okay. Some of us, as we have lived on mission, in particular, making disciples of people in our family, we know this to be true. A a child or a brother or a a sister may have grown to embrace Christian morals, to, to defend particular positions, but if they do not trust in Christ, you grieve. You know them being won over to the gospel isn't everything It's the only thing. When your heart has been won to Christ, when he has your affections, winning others to him, it is the only thing. This is Paul's point when he says, run in such a way as to win the prize. Run in such a way is not an excuse. Running in such a way is a a manner we are to live. People are perishing. And in in our interactions with them, we want nothing more for them to be one to the gospel something in paul's words should confront us here as christians paul was concerned paul was concerned that he might be disqualified that he may not be persevering on the path that he may be dedicating time and energy and resources and words not to win the race do you ever stop to consider that you might be traveling in the wrong direction, proclaiming the wrong message, that in your zeal you may be running aimlessly, throwing punches against a faulty opponent. If Paul would consider such a possibility, we should be willing to do the same. Are we pointing people to cling to Christ, or are we pointing people to cling to Christian causes or Christian morality, which may have nothing to do with clinging to Christ? Some 2,000 years ago, there was a God-man who lived and walked on this earth to win. He denied himself over and over and over again. He rejected personal pleasure, personal comfort, and pursuit of personal power. He abstained from things that were innocent and right. He devoted his time and his attention to people. He disciplined his body and his mind to defeat sin and Satan and death. He persevered on the path. He he did not deviate from the course marked out for him, declaring the truth of the gospel to sinners like you and I, laying down his life. Winning wasn't everything. It was the only thing. Here's what Paul says later in his letter to the Corinthians. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory. Where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. We have a Savior who ran to win the race. As we run, we are living as one with Christ. We have been caught up in his victory. The Holy Spirit empowers us to lay down and walk in denial, discipline, and perseverance. So we run to declare the news of his victory to those who struggle all they have been given in Christ. We run to, to shout about how light has overcome the darkness and the darkness has been defeated As we run, may we see people come after us who are caught up in this good news. May they be our eternal joy and crown, people who love and follow Christ. And to that end, may we live lives of denial and discipline, and may we be people who persevere on the path. Let's pray.